RPN, the Roddenberry Podcast Network. The Trek Files, Season 3, Episode 1, Winter's End, Story Pitch, December 1986. Welcome to The Trek Files, a look into the archives of Roddenberry Entertainment from the personal files of Gene Roddenberry. And now your host, Dr. Trek, Larry Nemechek. Well, welcome back, Star Trek fans, especially you background fans. Yes, all you canonistas, you tech heads, and of course, <laughs> all our Trekophiles spelled with an F. Hey, we have a wonderful, wonderful, uh, a real peek in a slice of history that's, I think, just coming out uh, just now. We have an early, early story pitch for the next generation. In fact, I don't know if anyone outside the initial circle in December 1986 has, uh, has read this or heard it. So please, yes, find us on the Truck Files on Facebook. You can read the document there, follow along, and I'll be right back with this week's special guest. I really like this story idea a lot, although at times I get the feeling that perhaps there is less there than meets the eye. I also feel that the tale lacks a proper resolution. The story just seems to end without a flourish. David feels that Steve Boyette can resolve this problem handily. If so, we have a good vehicle for Leslie. Well, fans, if you heard David... You should know that's David Gerald. If you heard Leslie, you would know we're talking about Leslie Crusher. And when you hear that, you probably are figuring out we're talking about late 1986, early 1987, in the very root stages of The Next Generation, uh, months before the pilot script would be written and filmed, much less before the audience at large would see the show on the air. Once again, we're in that very small think tank time of late 86. And amazingly, our document this week is one of two story pitches we found from a writer named Stephen Boyette, who was known to David Gerald, and who could be trusted to read the material, which was still much in evolution. It was still in flux, as we know, and start to pitch some stories to see what a show could potentially look like. And because of the history, because of the subject matter, and because I think he knows a thing or two about pitching and taking pitches... In the 80s and today, I am thrilled to have back our good friend, Renee Ashvaria, back with us this week. Hi, Renee. Larry, how you doing? I am doing well. It's great to have you back. And Renee is a man who needs no introduction, but just, just to fill out the, um, to tick all the boxes here, you all know that, that he uh, came to Next Generation through his spec script, uh, The Offspring, wrote many, many excellent scripts, his time writer-producer the last two seasons of Next Generation after freelancing, and then moving right over to DS9 for the last five years there, had many, many wonderful, uh, we love to say Trials and Tribulations, but a lot of other great standalone shows I'll and rewrites. I'll take Trials and Tribulations. <laughs> I'll take that. Take that for 500, Alex. <laughs> yeah. But also uh, co-created the 4400, um, was showrunner for several, co-showrunner for several years on Medium, several series over the years, has a new series coming out on Amazon Prime that we can talk about for a second, Carnival Row, be looking for that. But um, I wanted to have at least one visit here with Renee about 
the pitching process, the story process. And when we can double that up with an historical period, it, I think it makes it even more fun. So uh, <laughs> thank you for taking this on, Renee. Yeah, and, this was fascinating. Yeah. It, was a, it was a fascinating read. And, yeah. and this week we're, we'll do something maybe we'll do more of because as we go through the files, we not only have these stories and pitches, but we have some of the memos in reaction to them, So, which mm-hmm. adds a little more to it. But what did, what did you think about Winter's End here, knowing when it was and what the situation Well, in context, I mean, and I had to sort of educate myself as I was reading it, uh, because it starts to allude to a, a, a backstory for Data, which isn't, of course, the backstory right. that it ended up being. So once I sort of wiped the existing backstory out of my mind... Dr. Sung and Lore and all yes, of that, exactly. right? Crystal and Entity. I mean, it has to do with... Uh, and folks can read it for themselves, but just to summarize really quickly, it has to do with the, the Enterprise... Coming to a planet, uh, you know that is a dead a dead world, having a civilization that destroyed itself uh, through some kind of nuclear war. It's a nuclear winter, um, and we come to learn. And it sounds like it, it's something that happened decades, if not hundreds, or maybe even you know a long time ago. And we come to learn that this is the planet where data was found, which I think you know right there. I'm 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 intrigued. I mean, I'll tell you what. I'll tell you what. If that had been pitched to me, I would have championed that story. And I'll tell you why. Uh, because of the data angle. You know, nuclear winter is interesting in and of itself, but to turn it into an origin story for one of the show's main characters, that's the kind of hook we were always looking for on Next Gen. That was what, you know, that is what I believe that that's what Michael Pillar brought to the show. Mm-hmm. Uh, and And, you know... A sort of an impatience with abstractions and allegories and things and said, it's got to be grounded in one of these main characters. It's got to be about them, not about the guest stars, not about some theme. You know, so I think that's what what uh, the writer actually really accomplished. I, I'm not sure that it, it, it... I actually think the, the Wesley Crusher, Leslie Crusher storyline competes, uh, mm-hmm. you know, for oxygen a little bit. I'm surprised... Um, uh, in the just that Bob Justman's, you know, saw it more the Leslie side than the data side. Uh, I, I, you know, clearly, I, I saw it in a different way, but I, I could see developing it. Well, so you you don't think this because you know famously, and Michael championed this the B story, and even a couple of times the C story was one of his stock and trade, and would you know this is happening on the planet, here's what's happening on the ship for the rest of the cast, or you know clearly a B. You don't think that that nestled in his story. Um, yeah, sure. It, it could have. I mean, I could see how a young person might be particularly affected by something like this. The analogy to a youth having, you know, self-destructive... Um, like the civilization, like yeah, the analogy that, that, I'm not sure that, a little I, clunky. that, that I got that, <laughs> my personally, at least as, you know, as, as presented. Maybe that was something worth developing. Maybe they were, they were tapping into something else about the character that isn't necessarily explicit in those pages. But, um, but the data thing is, you know... Right, was really intriguing for for and the first Bible had been put together very loosely, roughly by Gene and David Gerald and that that team at the end of uh, say November. So he had just that's the other thing that's fascinating about this is not only is it just early days of next gen, but they were still fluxing out what what all these characters would be doing. They they actually had come up with a vague notion that data had been found on a dead planet, mm-hmm. you know, alone. Right. 
Yeah. Uh, which is what wound up happening. But the, all the backstory of a, of a human who was his maker, who was the renegade android, you know, creator and all that, yeah. with a line of steadily increasingly high quality androids across the, you know. Yeah. But um, that was that was that was the touchstone that this writer that Steve Boyette launched from was that he had been found on a mysterious dead yeah. world and now fleshed that out. And for whatever reason, they came eventually got around to date. They didn't take it. Uh, maybe we can find a better paper trail later on. But he did all of this in the vacuum of people who, you know, these people yeah. that write the early yeah. scripts of a series before it's even been cast. Yes. But this is this predates that. This yeah. is they're still yeah. arguing over what to do with the characters and how to spell them, what their names would be. And it's interesting. He, he he also sort of presaged um, the idea of data dreaming. You know that that was an mm-hmm. episode that came about. I feel like that was. Like when I was there, season. Season, yes. it was yeah, a Brandon, right. Brandon, a Brandon, Brandon Braga special, um, right? You know, so so you know, I mean, what I, the point I was trying to make is that here was somebody who very deftly took a big theme and a big idea and a, and a cautionary tale, but then wove it into. You know, an origin story. And I think that now, I'm not for nation characters in a nation format, right? And I'm yeah. not, and I'm I'm not necessarily saying it's a better origin story than what came and you know and to be fair you only get one origin story (laughs) so that's that's what we would call a coin you don't spend rashly Mm -hmm. you know so you know it might have been that i I could i could see if if you were to transpose this pitch and to the the staff that i was with at the time and michael running things and, mm-hmm. and being there with ron moore and jerry taylor and brandon braga and narain and narain shankar and joe Manoski, you know i could i could see let, bringing this into the room and having us kick it around and then you know somebody saying yeah i don't know but this, you know like i said <laughs> it's, this is a big coin to spend is this is this going to mm-hmm. give us the most mileage for data as a character over the life of the series, and maybe you would conclude that it wouldn't. Maybe there's a, and indeed, data's backstory was quite rich, and it gave multiple episodes. Mm-hmm. This maybe would only only have yielded this one episode. So maybe at the end of the day, we wouldn't have moved forward with it. But I could, I can see. Fourth season, you find the unknown who knew about it survivor from, <laughs> from Loush, whatever the name of the planet yeah. was. Yeah, we have the straggling survivor turn up who has an alternate yeah. version of that. Well, now, I did think it was touching at the end that he trying to tie up the. And again, we're, we're talking about Wesley Crusher as a girl and as a young teenage girl, and they're trying to make her even more sensitive than Wesley was. And mm-hmm. we've talked in past episodes about what a, even a teenage girl. Leslie would look like versus the Wesley. We know. Yeah, and although yeah. some of the problems, would they have avoided some of the, you know, the Wesley Crusher saves the ship every week memes, fair or not? Yeah. And all on the nothing on Will, but all on the writers yeah. and the chaos of, of writers that was and happening. I think it was also the writers, but also somebody somewhere was saying, isn't this a kid's show? Shouldn't this be for kids? You know, that, we were talking, you know, you, you really need to know who your audience is. And I think they quickly learned that there was a lot of impatience out there with, you know, Wesley Crusher Saves the Day and that, and that it wasn't a show for kids, you know. And a lot, a lot of the fans were like, well, they had been waiting for a new Star Trek since they were kids. Mm-hmm. So um, it's interesting, you know, it's interesting. Yeah. I'll tell you, there's one thing I, I really, I loved the bit in the, in the story document about um, the commonality that uh, you know one of the commonalities that cultures that destroyed themselves yes was was that they never became spacefaring 
that was a nice uh, insight, I thought, you know, and it certainly had had a sort of pro, um, you know, hey, you know, and that's part of Star Trek, you know, just its, it's very existence is about it's pro space trek. It's pro, it's pro exploration, you right. know. And any little thing is, you know, is just a step towards this future. It's very Roddenberry esque sixties. Yeah, I mean, all sense. the way through. But it was really so much about uh, we'll start. People embrace Star Trek because we survived and we got off the planet. Yeah. And when? How soon can that happen? Can we, can we please have that happen tomorrow? Because yeah. that might be a good recipe for yeah for us getting along here. Yeah. Or, or maybe it would, you know, rush things. But, yeah, that, that tone. The other nice touch, I thought, was when he does come back and kind of laces up the two plots, mm-hmm. when he has the bizarre little element and he says, well, this is an element that we've run tests on. And it, it either, under high pressure, it either cracks or it becomes more beautiful than it was, when you know, as, yeah, a, yeah. as an analogy for her. Yeah, delicate teenage sensitive psyche at the time, I guess. That but felt a little more novelistic to me than, uh, and I, I, yeah. I, I do, I do. It was a nice more. touch, however, that yes. could have been brought. Like, off. How do you? I, and I do credit Mr. Justman's re- reaction to saying, you know, that, that it, he's essentially saying there's some nice stuff here, but it's a little internal. How do we dramatize this? You know, as opposed to this gal, whoever she would have been, and however marvelous an actress <laughs> Leslie would have been in this what if scenario, you know, yeah. how do you dramatize that other than saying, well, this is how I feel? <laughs> so it, it looks like uh, Stephen Boyette, and we have files where he presented two stories. We pulled this one here today. So one thing that's interesting here, though, is this longer story edition is dated December 12th. And then it appears that he's submitted a short version, December 16th. Yeah, yeah, like a half-paragraph version. Yeah, half-page. I wouldn't be surprised if, you know, he was asked to say, hey, can you distill this down? You know, Gene's a busy man. (laughs) (laughs) Uh, Can you distill this down? And actually, I think he did a credible job of it. Yeah, there's nothing really different. It's not like he's been asked to do uh, something But, you know, we we used to do this on Next Gen as well. You know, you would write a memo. It kind of in reverse, actually. You would write a, a staff member. Staff yeah, you would write a memo idea. saying, "Here's this is the area code. This is what we're thinking. You know, are you? You know, what do you think, Rick and mm-hmm. and Michael? And and if they approved it, then you would write a, a, a prose document. You know, which might be an eight or ten or twelve page, more like what we story see here or yeah. longer. Um, you know, and there you would use all sorts of tricks <laughs> to, you know, to get it further up the ladder, you know, and like and, what you can't well, say you tricks know, without, you can, you can say, you know, you can be explicit. You can say what somebody's feeling and thinking mm-hmm. in a way that you can't, you know, that you're going to have to sooner or later figure out how to convey, you know, through dialogue and, and through dialogue and interaction, interaction as yeah. opposed to, you know, and you could say things like, you know, in a series of, startling revelations we come to realize that <laughs> so and so is truly behind the whole thing all along you know right. you know oh yeah star- startling revelations that yeah twists and turns good yeah that sounds good now go do it <laughs> <laughs> yeah. okay then you would get if if it got commissioned then we would all we would all break the story together and breaking it in the room uh the whiteboard and board and you know with act outs you uh-huh. know five it was five acts and a teaser yep so now that's, you're, that's very different. You're smiling, and that was, and then that extended through DS9, the same, oh, yeah. Yeah, same yeah, yeah, yeah. way. Yeah. Now Star Trek famously opened the door to people outside pitch, unagented people, but um, they, you would ask the same thing. And if it was a professional writer, 
if it was an amateur, you might amateur with aspirations, you might eventually give him a chance. An amateur, the kid from Iowa or North Carolina or the mailman from wherever, letter mm-hmm. carrier. I mean, those would probably be bought and then given to somebody on staff or a trusted. And it also had a lot to do with what party. time of year right. it was. If it was early in the production calendar, which was you know late summer. If you had time to burn, you know, not late summer, you know, summer. Right. Uh, uh, then you know, then you could t- you could afford to take a shot. Um, but if you you know, once we were into oh gosh, by October, November, you know, how many episodes a year did you do then, Renee? Oh, oh boy, twenty six, twenty six episodes. So um, you know, by then it was it was you know, right. it, it, people would be shocked to realize how close to production we were, you know, at any given time. It's like you're writing something that's going to be filming two weeks from now, you know, or eventually two days from now. <laughs> well, right. And we're not talking about change pages. We're talking about the basic draft, yeah. right? So, so, so today, what's uh, you've had a variety of network series and now streaming a Carnival Row. Carnival Row is a, is a, is a streaming sh- uh, show for Amazon Prime and very different Scenario was it completely self written ahead of time for the um, not entirely what ten, ten episodes we did eight, eight episodes eight. and they they commissioned six ahead of time but you know it did similar things come to pass because even though you go into it with the best of intentions with six episodes after the first two episodes shot and we found you know you, you learn things mm-hmm. along the way mm-hmm. and things are more expensive than you thought they might be and we ended up having to do substantial rewrites of those last. Six, uh, six episodes anyway, they ended up very different. The, the overall thrust of the show, however, was was you know agreed upon and had been had been thrashed out. You know the thrust, the arc right. of the season, and you know it's easy, easier to do when it's only eight episodes. And, and again, and now and now a days your serialized storytelling. Since you're writing very, that very arc up in, front, and, very much in vogue or, or plotted out anyway. Yeah, not, you know it was one. It's one continuing storyline. So of the last, you know, six, eight, ten years, we've got, I mean, is this the process we saw that you had in, you know, this is, this is uh, mid eighties. You were into it through with Trek, the late eighties or all through the nineties, uh, you know, 99 through DS9. So that didn't have things changed radically. Or is it just, there's more a matter of more tools in the toolbox to have to approach. I think things have changed radically only depending on the platform. I mean, the networks still pick up their shows, you know, in in May and they're on the air in September, you know, and return new shows and returning shows. So they're still under There's and they still pilot do season and episodes. Yeah. So four acts and know. a teaser or or whatever a tag and well nowadays whatever episodes are, are less than are barely forty minutes of programming and twenty minutes of commercial. commercial. I don't know. Yeah. I mean, you just get started and it gets interrupted. <laughs> uh, I don't. I, but I don't know anybody who actually watches live. Um, but you know, it's a brave new world. Live meaning network. Well, even network watching it live. You know, who oh, actually right, sits right, right. through the actual commercials. I don't know. I, I Appointment just, TV is what you're saying. <laughs> yeah. It's not streaming or just watching binge watching later or yeah, whatever. Like, yeah. you know, or or recording it on your DVR and speeding through the commercials. I don't know. Is, am I speaking out of turn? No, not at all. <laughs> not at all. <laughs> <laughs> no, it's those things that, I mean, and sometimes we, you know, with this, the coming of Discovery unleashed a lot of this kind of self-realization that we had fans who were so, who were complete Game of Thrones watchers, or they were, you know, whatever the latest streaming or even premium cable had been the last 5, 10, 15 years, but everybody has carried around their Star Trek filter 
you know, and to apply a Star Trek view to the landscape of TV today and the storytelling and the formats right. was kind of a rude awakening to a lot of people. How, what would Star Trek look look that way in the streaming world? And anyway, it's been a, it's been an education. Sometimes we don't realize how things have changed till we. Yeah, and there of course there are some folks who say Deep Space Nine was ahead of its time in that regard. Mm-hmm. You know, in, in the serialized storytelling. On the serialized storytelling. Yeah. Did did, did, uh, did yeah. I, it was a. I know it was a. It was crazy. I mean, you were learning on the not learning, but those serialized the Dominion War shows, especially, were insane to write for and trying to pioneer that. Oh yeah, yeah, absolutely. I mean, not that you were trying to let's pioneer serialized storytelling. No, no, we just were. We tell were just, all the stories the way you wanted. We were just to do it. so amazed that that Paramount and Rick signed off on it. <laughs> You're like, we want to do an eight episode arc. Okay. Uh oh. <laughs> <laughs> what does that look like? You know. Well, we have the result. Uh, we can all celebrate that, and we can see what television's done since the time of this, since the time that William Boyette pitched this. But still, from '86, still a very intriguing premise, and maybe a different, in a different reality, they could have been a purchase. Yeah, yeah. I, like I said, I would, I would have championed this. I would have bought it into the room. Well, on that alternate history timeline, maybe we'll we'll revisit the story someday. <laughs> okay. Renee, thank you so much for dropping by again. This has been this has been absolutely fascinating, and I hope you I, promised I, there was going to be pizza. We'll get to the pizza. We will get to the pizza. I promise. <laughs> the Trek Files is produced by Roddenberry Entertainment. Executive producer Rod Roddenberry. Additional production by Ken Ray. All documents are available as always at facebook.com/slash/thetrekfiles. For more great podcasts, check out podcast.roddenberry.com. And for more great deep diving of Star Trek behind the scenes, visit Dr. Trek and Portal 47 at LarryNimichek.com. That's me. Podcast.roddenberry.com. The Roddenberry Podcast Network.